Oh, good morning, everyone. Set that on the side. It is good to be back. I enjoy teaching Sunday school, as I've said before. Um, I would not choose today of all days to be my first one back in, in, a, in a couple months. Uh, I was just telling my brother, my brother, my he's my brother in the Lord. He's my son too. <laughs> my son Sean. Um, I was just telling him that uh, I am the Scrooge of the Eden Corn Festival. I I, I don't like this corn festival. I, I, ever since I lived right down here in town, I, I've disliked it, <laughs> and I particularly dislike it for uh, this purpose, this service, and the next service, Pastor. I feel for you. It's worse in that one as everybody's scrambling around trying to get things ready. It is a chance to outreach to, for outreach to the community, so you know we pray that we will uh, be able to reach people with the gospel today. Uh, I'm not trying to say that my Sunday school lesson is the most important thing ever. It's not. Um, but I hope it is something that is important to you. And, and uh, I'll try and end a little bit early today uh, so that we have some more time between services to, to kind of get things ready so that everyone can be in here as much as possible. So the lessons I'm going to teach um, this month for the month of August are taken from a series written by uh, Pastor Jim Crone. Those of you, most of you, some of you know him. Um, pastor Crone is the pastor at Southeast Bible Baptist Church in Penfield. Um, he wrote this booklet, which is called Voyage, The First Steps in Growing as a Christian. Um, now, I did teach this. Uh, pastor actually gave me this book. Uh, it was about uh, seven years ago, a little over seven years ago. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, the note's still in it from Pastor. It says, it says, scan this booklet for consideration for Sunday school. So, so I did, and I taught it then, um, but I'm going to do something a little different uh, for the next four weeks here. I'm going to use it as a basis uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, Pastor Crone has a very straightforward and logical way of teaching, and I very much appreciate that. That's how my mind works. I don't know if yours does or not, but, but I like uh, someone that doesn't use brainwashing and indoctrination techniques. What he does is he, he presents the facts, he explores the evidence, and then he invites you to make a conclusion, which I, I very much like that. Um, there's always a sound basis for believing what you learn uh, in these lessons, that uh, many lessons, of course, uh, regarding the Bible, but uh, this one from Pastor Crone is especially like that. Um, You've got to be careful about just taking people's word on anything, Right? I always say that. I've said that for years as I teach Sunday school. Make sure that you have a basis for what you believe. Know why you believe it. Not just because so-and-so told me. And Pastor, he says that from, from his pulpit here. Where he'll say, look, don't take my word for it. Check it out. Go to the scriptures. Um, so as Christians, we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? God doesn't... Uh, I'm glad God doesn't require blind faith. Um, you know, nothing wrong with blind faith in God. That's, that's fine. But he doesn't require it. Uh, he actually provides a lot of evidence that will strengthen your faith, a lot of evidence that will um, give you faith in him and in his word and the truth of his word. So this is a subject that Pastor Cole taught on not too long ago, um, but I'm going to do a, a little different. I have some different examples. Um, and this first, uh, first couple lessons in this book, uh, or actually as the title, as I told you, it's The First Steps of Growing as a Christian. It's written for new believers. Okay? Now, I realize there's a lot of you in here that are not new believers, so I've, I've modified it a, a fair amount. Um, the subject for the month is increasing your faith in the Bible, but I have something for everybody, not just new believers. Okay? So I'm going to be teaching um, 
I want to look at things in three different ways. Okay, first of all, I want to look at things from the perspective of someone who's not trusted Jesus Christ. Okay, someone who's who's what we would refer to as not saved. Uh, it could be someone who's never been to church, someone who has attended church a few times. It could be someone who's attended church the whole life. But in any case, it's someone who's not saved, someone who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they're genuinely searching for the truth. Okay, that, That's an important step. I also want to look at the topics as we go through these for the next four weeks. Um, from the perspective of a new believer, uh, as the book is intended, um, that's someone who has asked Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior, but hasn't yet learned about the Bible. Maybe hasn't read the Bible through yet, or is just starting to read through the Bible. Okay, So I want to look at things from their perspective as well. And then thirdly, for those of you that have been saved for a long time, I want to provide some things here that um, give perspective for the person who has been a believer for a long time, who understands the Bible, you've studied it, um, someone who's looking to deepen their faith. Okay, so that, That's what these things that we're going to talk about today uh, and the next three weeks after that will do for you. So I'm going to modify the lesson quite a bit. I will, I'm going to try very hard not to drag them out. <laughs> you can do that, right? I was kind of laughing, Pastor. Is, uh, this is just an aside. It has nothing to do with this lesson, except for trying not to drag it out. Um, so I put a rabbit trail in. Um, as you were teaching the last couple of weeks on uh, the outline about how to treat your pastor, right? that message at your ordination was a 20-minute message. I turned it into 45 minutes for the men's conference, and you did two Sundays. <laughs> so that's how you do that. <laughs> it, it was all very good, though. So, so it's it really interesting to hear a different perspective than, than the way I taught it. Yeah, that, that's really good. So anyway, I've often told people that the Bible was written for one main purpose. Okay? And there's a lot of great things in the Bible for sure. It can help you learn about God. It can teach you how to live a godly life. Um, in fact, it can help you with all of life's questions. Right? There, there, there's really no thing in your life that can't be helped by the word of God. I actually believe, and I've heard many people say this, uh, that the Bible is an inexhaustible book. It, meaning that you can study it for your entire life and, and never learn everything that it contains. Just not possible. But its main purpose is something that's very specific. And I'm going to start, it's a familiar verse for some of you, in 1 John 5.13, if you want to turn there, 1 John 5 and, and verse 13, many of you probably have this verse memorized. <clears throat> 1 John 5 and verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible was written so that you can know for sure where you will spend eternity, and so that you will know for sure that you're spending eternity with God in heaven specifically. Okay? You can know that. That's why the Bible was written. So years ago... I took a, uh, an evangelism class, uh, and it taught me to ask two questions. Okay? 
Uh, as a matter of fact, this, I, I wore it today. There's a, if, you, if you walk anywhere near me today, I have a lapel pin on it. There's two question marks on it. It's designed to start a conversation. People say, well, what is that? Oh. <laughs> That's a great way to, right, to start a gospel presentation <laughs> with somebody. But the two questions are diagnostic. Okay? They're, they're designed to help me figure out as best I can. I don't know their hearts but as best I can, figure out their personal spiritual condition, if you will. Are they saved or are they unsaved? So I don't want you to answer these right now, but I do want you to think about it in your own, in your own mind, all right, how you would answer these questions. First one is, is a very familiar one. First one is, if you were to die today, are you sure, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Right? It's a very specific question that each of you should answer for yourself. It, it's not a complete question, but we use a form of this actually in the fair ministry, right? Uh, one, of the, one of the questions in the fair ministry is, last time I was there, we had the big banner, I assume we still have that, that says, are you uh, 50, 75, or 100% sure that you're going to heaven someday? Right? It's just a form of the same question. Uh, very important question to answer for yourself. Of course, the answer, the way we use it in the fair is a little, little misleading. It's designed to be diagnostic, right? Because if somebody says, oh, I'm 50% sure, or I'm 75% sure, well, then they're not saved, right? Pretty much. Right? We don't, again, I don't know their hearts, but they're not saved if they don't answer, I'm 100% sure, and I have a Bible reason. So people answer this in, in all kinds of different ways. They say, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, that seems less than 100% to me, <laughs> right? Or people will say something like, ha, no way, I know I'm going to hell, and they think they're funny. That's not a funny thing at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a lesson I'll teach sometime that I studied on hell. It's just scriptures about hell and what it's like. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a place anyone wants to go. People will say, I don't even believe there is a heaven. Or people will say, yeah, I'm 100% sure. And I have a Bible reason. Right? I hope that's you. But if it's not, I'm going to ask you to consider that and, and to put your trust in Christ today. But that question only gives us a piece of the answer, right? Because if someone says, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to heaven. Well, the thing I want to know, that's the second question, second question mark on my lapel pin here. It's one that's also a diagnostic question. It's designed to give me some idea as to what their basis is for, for their what they believe to be their salvation or not. Second question is this. If you were to die today and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? We are going to stand before God. I don't know if he asked that question specifically. I don't know. <laughs> but if you were asked that question, if you died today and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You see, it's a good diagnostic question. People also answer that in several different ways. Well, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm basically a good person. You know, I help people where I can. I've never robbed a bank. I've, killed, I've never killed anyone. You know, that's the list of the common answers. <laughs> right? uh, sometimes, and I've gotten this before, well, that's a stupid question. I don't even believe there is a God. Right? Atheists will say that to you. But it's not a stupid question. 
And so on the subject of trying to increase your faith in the Bible, these two things are tied together, right? Because it's the main reason that the Bible was written. You can't argue that the Bible wasn't written. It was. Here it is, right? It's the main reason that God spent 1,500 years putting the scriptures together for us. So that you can know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It says there in 1 John 5.13. The other thing that I'll say to, to folks like that, it's a, I don't mind being a little bit in your face to, to people like atheists that, that say things you know, like, I, look, that's a stupid question. I'll say, well, look, I, I hope you also understand that um, the existence of God has nothing to do with whether or not you believe in him, right? Truth is like that. Truth is truth, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. It doesn't make the truth not exist. You understand what I'm trying to say? It does matter, but it doesn't matter what you think, I guess is basically what I'm saying. It matters what you think as far as your salvation, whether you're saved or not, what you believe. That's what the Bible tells us. But I hope you're not one of the people, and, and this is very common, I find, with, with atheists and people that are agnostic, they, they don't know if there's a God, people like that. Um, it's very common for them to think that, well, I just don't believe the Bible. They reject the Bible, but they don't even know what the Bible says. So I hope you're not one of the people that's rejected the Bible or rejects parts of the Bible even because yeah, you don't believe it. Because... The truth has nothing to do with whether you believe it. You, you follow my, my thought there, okay? So it's not a stupid question. So that gets us to our subject. How do you know that the Bible is true? Okay? So it, that's a good question. That's a really good question. It's a question that needs attention. <clears throat> it's a question that everyone needs to consider. Especially if you're searching for what the truth is among all the religions of the world. Right? There's, there's a lot of religions out there, a lot, of, a lot of people that even call themselves Christians that don't believe the Bible. <clears throat> and as it would happen, that's the subject of our Sunday school for this week and next week and the week after and the week after. Okay? So I'm going to look at some things uh, today uh, from Pastor Crone's lesson that I think will help with this. Now, again, Pastor's taught on this fairly recently. I think he taught a, a, a prophecy series over at the, the uh, Countryside Baptist Church, right? Um, I'm going to use little different examples, um, so it'll help some of you that, that, that are believers. You don't, you don't have a lack of trust in the Bible, but you want to build your faith. God gives us these things, so let, let's uh, help let him use them to build our faith. So I want to look at another verse to start off today. We're going to look at, at increasing your faith in the Bible. That's basically, you know, do you believe the Bible? Can you believe the Bible? Can you trust it? Okay, No matter where you are. You're unsaved, you haven't trusted in Christ yet. You're just newly saved. How do I know I can trust the Bible? You've been saved for a long time, you already trust the Bible. Well, I'm going to give you some really interesting evidence that perhaps you've not heard before. Um, that, that'll be, uh, I think, uh, an interesting study for Sunday school. So turn to John 14, uh, John 14 and verse 29. I'm going to use this kind of as a theme verse for the next, probably this week and next week. Okay, John 14, 29. 
The Bible says, And now I have told you, before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, ye might believe. If you have the red letter edition, you notice that those are the words of Jesus Christ. He says, I have told you. In other words, Jesus has told, uh, in this case, he has, he has told disciples things. Before it come to pass, before they happened, so that when they come to pass, when they happen, you might believe. Okay? So he gives us what we call prophecy. Okay? So we're going to study a little bit of prophecy today. There are many religious books and many religions in the world. <clears throat> so how do you know that the Bible is the one from God? How do you know that Christianity is the one that has God's plan of salvation? There's many religions that will tell you they have the only way to heaven. Right? I said earlier that God doesn't demand blind faith of us. I'm glad for that. <clears throat> he even tells us in the Bible that there will be many false Christs and false religions. And therefore, he's given us an abundance of evidence that Christianity is the one true religion and that the Bible is God's book. Some of those evidences are prophecy. I just mentioned that. The prophecy contained in the Bible, that's the things that the Bible predicted before they happened. Okay. Second, and that'll be the subject of today and the first part of next week. Second, we'll get into next uh, part of next week, will be the scientific accuracy of the Bible. Now, I know some of you have heard these things before. I'm going to use different examples, perhaps, than you've heard before. Okay? Those are the scientific facts that were, I, I love the, the word discovered, <laughs> after the Bible was written. You know, God knew them. <laughs> they weren't new to him. They were new to us. So we figured things out after these things were written in the Bible, but it's very uh, scientifically accurate. There's the historical accuracy of the Bible, because you certainly couldn't believe the Bible if the history it contains wasn't accurate, it's right on, it's absolutely accurate. Okay, and we'll look at some of the evidence of that. And then there's the, the effect the Bible has on people's lives. And I'm one that can testify that, look, the Bible changed my life. So these are the things we're going to study for the next four weeks. And I just want to start with some prophecy. Okay. Our theme verse, the one that we just read here in John 14, 29, says, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. <clears throat> it explains that God tells us things before they ever happen, and we call that prophecy. And he tells us that so that when they happen, we might believe. Believe in what? Believe in him and in his word, his written word. And everything that it contains. Okay? <clears throat> That's why he gives us prophecy. prophecy. He purposely included prophecy in the Bible to prove that it was his book and to increase our faith. The Holy Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, the Holy Spirit inspired the human penmen of the books of the Bible to write about things that would happen in the future. Now we say things like that, and if you're just not familiar with what we mean by that, is that the Holy Spirit told the men that God used to write the books, he told them what to write, they wrote it down. And in the case of a lot of the prophecy, they had no idea what it meant. They were just writing down what God told them to write down. Okay, So that's important to remember. <clears throat> now today, a lot of the prophecy has been fulfilled. And by the way, these aren't vague prophecies. These are very specific. Those are, you know, about, I don't know, every 10 years or so, you start hearing about Nostradamus and, 
and uh, you know so all, all these other uh, I call them nuts, but <laughs> people out there that want to predict things. Um, look, when you hear those prophecies, when you hear that stuff coming up, you, what you're going to find, if you really think about it, is that it is not specific stuff. It's very vague. So it's easy to say, oh, see, it fulfilled that prophecy, because it, it was so vague. The Bible has very, very specific prophecies. They're very specific and very accurate. Okay? Those are two important words. I, 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 those of you that know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an engineer by education, so uh, things like accuracy, uh, specificity, <laughs> those things are important. Okay. So let's look at a scripture uh, that is familiar to you. You've probably heard uh, teaching on this before, but I want to I look at this to, to, to get to some examples that maybe you haven't heard before. And these are prophecies about Christ. So turn, if you would, to Isaiah 53. This is one of the greatest passages of prophecy, and this is specifically what we would call a messianic prophecy. Okay, this is, we now know, we know today that the, this is about Jesus Christ. And as I read through this, you're going to say, yep, that's Jesus Christ. But I'm going to share some things with you about this that, that make it um, pretty remarkable. Okay? That will show you that you can, in fact, trust the Bible. It's very accurate, very specific. Okay, so Isaiah 53, I want to read uh, all 12 verses. I think I have time to do that. It says, Who hath believed our report, and who is the arm of the Lord, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put... Uh, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That is a, as I mentioned a minute ago, a messianic prophecy. It was written about the Messiah. Okay, the Jews 
they, 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 they believed that there was a Messiah coming to save Israel. And in fact, he was. Now, today, we look at that after the fulfillment of all of these prophecies, and we say, yeah, when you read through, the, even somebody who does not know the Bible, I've read parts of that to people or quoted them to them, and, they, and I ask them who I'm talking about, and they'll say, well, that's Jesus, right? They, they know that. <clears throat> well, we know that uh, because we have the New Testament, which they didn't have then at that point. But I want you to just notice some of the very specific things in here. Now, I'm not going to cover a lot of them just for time's sake, but I'm just going to cover a few. So God had promised to send the Messiah to the Jews to save Israel. And as I said, this is written about Jesus Christ. And what I want you to really notice is that it is Jesus Christ in whom they were all fulfilled. Everything in that verse and more was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay. So in, in verses 4 to 6, I don't want to reread it, in, in verse 8 as well, you see over and over again that it was prophesied that Christ would die for the sins of the people. In verse 9, we see that he made his grave with the wicked. Okay? If you know a little bit about the New Testament, we know that he was crucified between two thieves. Also in verse 9, it says that he was also with the rich in his death. Now, he died between two thieves, but he was buried by a rich man in a rich man's tomb. You see, you see the fulfillment. There's a, there's a prophecy, and then there's a fulfillment of it. it said he would be... Uh, with the rich in his death. What else does that mean? He was Joseph of Arimathea took upon himself to bury the body of Jesus and put Jesus in his own tomb. Okay. In verse ten, after making his soul an offering for sin for us, it says he shall prolong his days. Have you thought about what that means? <clears throat> well, Jesus rose from the grave three days after his death. And he spent another 40 days on earth before ascending to heaven. He prolonged his days. So it's a pretty amazing. Uh, there's a number of others here that I'm just not going to touch today because I want to get to some numbers that will, will help you understand why this is such an amazing thing. But it is, in fact, amazing. And the reason that it's amazing is that this passage of Scripture was written uh, 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. You see, Isaiah, who, who is the man that the Holy Spirit used to write this, Isaiah, his ministry uh, was, he was a, a prophet to the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, at the time that the northern kingdom of Israel was, was taken captive uh, by Assyria. Okay? So his ministry was during the, the, the reign of the kings uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So we know what the time frame was, so we know about when this was written, right? It's, it's also not a, a minor little fact. I believe that the, um, Pastor, I think you even mentioned the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, the scroll that's actually in the museum in, uh, in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, it's the whole book of Isaiah. And we know that it, it's accurate. What we have today is absolutely accurate. It's amazing. Written 700 years before Jesus was even born. <clears throat> now, that's just one example. Okay, It's just one example of a messianic prophecy. There's many more. Okay? I'll give you just a couple. There are, there are others, including Micah 5.2, that said that, 
the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7.14, saying that he would be born of a virgin. Zechariah 9.9 predicted the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, say that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 22, verses, uh, a bunch of verses, say that he would be despised, he would be laughed at, his hands and his feet would be pierced, his garments would be parted, as, and they cast lots for his vesture. Okay? Psalm 34, 20 says that none of his bones would be broken. All written well before Jesus was ever born. In the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which is this book. You can still get it today. I don't know if you've ever read this or not. Uh, if you've taken some of the Bible classes that uh, the, the Institute, the Common Ground Baptist Institute that Pastor Crone has written, it uses this book for, for a lot of references. <clears throat> and there's some really great things in here. It's written by a man named Josh McDowell. And in this book, Josh McDowell chronicles 61 very specific prophecies about the Messiah. 61. I'm not going to go over them with you, but if you, there's a whole chapter here that you can go through, and what he does is he gives, I know you can't see it, but th this will be a section for one prophecy. Here's the prophecy in Scripture. Here's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Scripture. And then he's got some explanation below that. And he chronicles 61. And you can't argue with them. You go through them and go, yeah, okay, all right. This was predicted hundreds of years before Christ. And then it came true in Jesus Christ. You cannot argue with it. Now, that's particularly remarkable for a couple of reasons. Uh, there's another man named Peter Stoner who wrote a book named uh, Science Speaks. I like science, being an engineer. <laughs> he shows uh, in his book that coincidence, or I'm sorry, that coincidence is ruled out in the matter by the scientific probability. Now, I don't want to lose you guys in, in math. I'm going to do some of that a little bit in just the last few minutes here. I'm going to lose you, uh, probably. But try and focus. Try not to think too much about what you've got to do in the next few minutes before we get ready for the parade. Pay attention to this. This is, this is really fascinating stuff. So using scientific probability, what Peter Stoner does is he, he with reference to eight prophecies, just eight. Now, I gave you a lot more than that. Okay, Just eight. We're just going to consider eight. And they're, they're these eight. The place of Jesus' birth, that it would be Bethlehem was predicted. The time of his birth, and if you know the book of Daniel, it talks about the, the, the seven weeks and three score and two weeks. and okay, It's basically 483 years, I think, after the, the command to rebuild the wall. right? Okay, so that came true. Um, the manner of his birth, that he would be born of a virgin, was predicted. I just gave you that one. Uh, that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver was predicted. The manner of his death by crucifixion was predicted before crucifixion was invented. I think that's fascinating. That people's reaction, that they would mock him and spit at him, some of the things I just shared with you, was predicted. That his hands and his feet and his side would be pierced, all predicted before he was born. All in one man, because this is talking about the Messiah in each case in the Old Testament. That the and the, the uh, eighth one would be the place of his burial that would be in a rich man's tomb, which we were just talking about. Okay, so we find that the chance that any one man might have lived from the time of the Old Testament prophecies until the present time and fulfilled all eight of those prophecies 
in one man is, again, this is where I don't want to lose you, one in 10 to the 17th power. You can calculate these things. I'm an engineer. I understand probability and statistics. These are valid calculations, okay? Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with exponential notation, I don't want to lose you in this, <laughs> okay? Some of you might not be. I mean, you probably took it in high school, but uh, it's been a while. But uh, I dealt with, with these things fairly regularly. Um, one time, one, uh, 10 to the 17th power is basically, think of it this way, it's one with 17 zeros after it. I don't know how well you can see that. Okay, so let me share this with you. Just, we know that one with three zeros is a thousand. Six zeros is a million. Nine, a billion, a trillion, quadrillion, 100 quadrillion. The chances that any one man would fulfill eight prophecies. 100 quadrillion. Okay? Got that? <laughs> Again, I don't want to lose you in the numbers, but I'm about to. <laughs> There's a one in 100 quadrillion chance that any man might have lived from the time of the Old Testament prophecies until the present time and fulfilled just those eight. Now, to illustrate the staggering probability, Peter Soner says this. Suppose we take 10 to the 17th or 100 quadrillion silver dollars, there aren't that many, um, and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state two feet deep. Now, Texas is a big state. Those of you that have been there, you know you can start driving on one end. You can drive for 12 hours and you're still in Texas. Okay, it's a big place. <clears throat> now, you've got to mark one of those silver dollars with an X and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes and at some point he must pick up one silver dollar hoping to get the one in 100 quadrillion with the X on it. Okay. What probability would he have of getting the right one? Well, it's just the same probability that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time providing they wrote them down in their own wisdom. Or, perhaps, what they wrote was given to them by God. <clears throat> Got just enough time, I think. I want to read you some, some of the other things. That, this is something that, that Josh McDowell is writing in his book. This was with regard to Peter Stoner's writings. Okay, he says, now these prophecies were either given by inspiration of God or the prophets just wrote them as they thought they should be. In such a case, the prophets had just one chance in 100 quadrillion of having them come true in any one man, but they all came true in Jesus Christ. This means that the fulfillment of these eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writing of those prophecies to a definiteness which lacks only one chance in 100 quadrillion of being absolute. Stoner considers 48 prophecies then, not just the eight, but 48 and says, we find the chance that any one man fulfilled all 48 prophecies to be one in 10 to the 157th power. This is where I lose you. Because it's inconceivable. Okay. That number. Okay. So, so you know, <clears throat> there's 157 zeros after, the, after that one. There is no name for that number. Because when you get to 10 to the 100th power, science says that's it. 
you should consider it infinite. We're talking 10 to the 157th power. Okay. There is, there's a thing called a Google, G-O-O-G-A-L, which is the biggest named number. There is no practical use for a bigger number. It's considered infinite. So, so you have to understand that. <clears throat> so this is a really large number, <laughs> and it represents an extremely small chance. So let's try to visualize it. Okay, this is where I lose you. But just, just get the idea. The silver dollar, which we've been using, is entirely too large. We must select a smaller object. The electron is about as small an object as we know of. It is so small that it will take two and a half quadrillion of them laid side by side to make a line, single file, one inch long. Okay? If we were going to count the electrons in this line, one inch long, and counted 250 a minute, so roughly for a second, about that pace. Okay, count that fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And when you get to, uh, you know, 556 quadrillion, 300, you got to say it really fast. Okay. If you can count 250 each minute, and if we counted day and night nonstop, it would take us 19 million years to count just one inch of electrons. Okay, 19 million years. If we had a cubic inch of these electrons, so one inch high, one inch long, one inch thick, a cubic inch, <clears throat> and we counted it 250 each minute, it would take us 19 million times 19 million times 19 million, or 6.9 times 10 to the 21st, or 6.9 with 21 zeros after it, just to count a cubic inch of electrons. So with that in mind, go back to our chance one in 110 to the 157th power, that number, okay? Let's, let's suppose that we're taking this number of electrons, we're gonna mark one, <laughs> and we're gonna thoroughly stir it into the whole mass, blindfold the man and letting him try to find the right one. What chance has he of finding the right one? Well, you have to understand how big this is. What's the pile of electrons look like? Well, I calculated it yesterday. It is an inconceivably large volume. This is why we stop at 10 to the 100 power. It was 3 times 10 to the 80th power Milky Way galaxies. You can't even. Okay. So... <laughs> The, the chance that 48 prophecies about Jesus Christ would come true in any one man from the Old Testament prophecies till now is the, the chance that that would happen is inconceivable. We cannot even comprehend it. What that means is it is a certainty. Okay? Just that one fact. Proves, one, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Two, that the Bible is accurate, the Bible is believable, and it, 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 you have no reason not to trust in it. Because it's inconceivable that it could have predicted th those things. And don't forget, the, the, the electron example, this number 
was 48 prophecies. Josh McDowell chronicles 61. Okay? And there's probably even more than that in the Bible. By the way, that's also just Messianic prophecies. There's a lot more prophecy in the Bible than that. And they're all right. So you see, the Bible, you can, you can trust it. I'm, and I'm going to stop there. We're going to talk more about prophecy next week. But let's pray and I'll be done. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I just thank you, Lord, for these things. Lord, thank you that, um, Lord, we can trust your word. I pray that you would help to build our faith, Lord. And, um, Lord, maybe we don't struggle with that, but maybe we'll, you can give us examples, Lord, that we can use in trusting uh, or talking to others. Lord, we pray again for the rest of the day. We pray for the next hour of service. Lord, we pray that you would use it. pray that you would uh, reduce distractions. Lord, help us to hear from you this morning. We'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, more next week.